Good morning. My name is Heather, and I am the children and family pastor here, and so I am so delighted to be with, with the adults today. I'm always with the littles running around, so it's really fun to be with you today. And I love that we were able to take an opportunity to just pray for all the folks struggling in Texas and in other places, because it doesn't take much for us to recognize that we're not okay. We're not okay in America, in the world, and sometimes even in our own lives. It's hard, and we struggle, and we can feel like we can be missing a little of the peace and joy that we're designed to experience today. God designed us to experience that today. Yes, in the future, as good as that's going to be, but we're also designed to have that today. And so as we look around the world, sometimes we wonder, why are we missing this? Why is it missing in the world around us? Why is it sometimes missing in our own lives? One of my favorite verses, and we're going to get to a few chapters down the road here in John, is where Jesus is saying, the thief has come to steal, to kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I love that. Again, we are designed to have life abundantly today. Yes, in the future, but also today. So why are we missing this? Why does it sometimes feel like we are not experiencing the abundant life that we are designed to have today? So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. And as we get ready to dig into the text, if you would pray with me one more time. Heavenly Father, we are so glad to be able to be here today. We're glad to be in America where we have the freedom to freely worship you, to pray, to study your word. God, and I thank you for this word that you're give, you have given us. I thank you for the life that you've designed us to have. I pray that you would open our hearts and minds so that we could see you more fully, that we could experience you more fully. God, just use my words today as we talk through this text and just reach into our hearts, Lord. Teach us what you want us to hear. Allow our ears, eyes, and hearts to be open to receive from you. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are going to pick up in John chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to open up. Or if you got the Bible app, we're going to dig through all the verses. I'm also going to have it on the screen. But John chapter 5, our passage starts at verse 30. And we are picking up right in the middle of Jesus responding to the Jewish leaders. What had happened was he had healed someone. And he had healed this man on the Sabbath. And that ticked them off because they considered that work and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. They were very strict about their rules and following the law. And so that made them really mad that Jesus would do such a thing on the Sabbath. And so they started persecuting him. And Jesus simply responded to them, I'm just doing what I see the Father doing. The Father is working, and I'm moving, and that's why I'm working. Well, that ticked them off even further, because they took that to mean that he was equating himself as equal to God. So not only was he healing on the Sabbath, now he was claiming to be God, and so then they were really mad. And he began his response that we studied last week, where he said, I have this authority. I have been given this authority from the Father to do these things, and I've been given the authority to one day judge. And the verse right before where we're going to begin today, he says, one day I am. I'm going to judge those who have done good to eternal life, those who have done evil to destruction. And so that's where we begin. He's in the middle of his response to them. And so today we pick up at verse 30. So you can follow along with me. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But there is another who bears witness about me, 
and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have given is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. But if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? I love that whole thing that Jesus just does. He just lays out a case and delivers it. There's a show that I used to watch years ago, and there was a character in it that was a lawyer, and he would always engage in dialogue, and every time he would, like, rebuke something that was, that was said, and he kind of would shut down the argument, he would always go, like, lawyered, and it was, like, done. Nobody could say anything, and I kind of feel like that's what Jesus just did. Like, he just laid out all this evidence. He gave us six pieces of evidence for who he was, and this is a significant theme in John. The word witness testimony shows up 33 times. And it's done so that they'll believe. That word shows up 98 times. So John is presenting all of these things from Jesus and all of these stories so that we could know, that we could know who Jesus is. Hence the theme of our series, Jesus Revealed. And so he lays out this case before them as he is responding to their attacks on who he is. And so let's dig into that a little bit further. We're going to go verse by verse again. In verse 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's not saying there that he can't do anything. He is so intricately involved with his father. Everything his father is doing is what he's doing. As we heard in previous verses, we talked about this last week, he is here to do his father's will. So he can't, in essence, not be God. He can't do his own thing. That would make him not God. So he is only doing what his father has sent him. As he hears his father, he judges. And his judgment is just because he's not seeking his own, but it's the will of the father who sent him. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. But there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he bears about me is true. So here's the first witness, the first piece of evidence he gives. It's about his own testimony. But he says, if I alone bear that, it would not be true. Because again, I am tied to my father. So my father bears the witness about me as well. Because if I was just saying my own thing, it wouldn't be true because it would be separate from what my father was doing, but we are tied. So him conjoined with the father, that is, bears testimony to who he is. And then he goes on. You sent John, 
and he has borne witness to the truth. So now we have the second piece of evidence. Earlier in the book of John in chapter one, the leader sent a delegation to John to say, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Who exactly are you? And John responded, I am not the one you're looking for. I am not the Messiah, but one is coming. He pointed to who is true. You sent to John who has borne witness to the truth. And then he goes on, verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Not that the testimony I receive is from man. In other words, John spoke the truth. He pointed to who Jesus was. But it's not just because John said so. The truth about who I am is not because of man. I say these things to you that you could be saved. The whole purpose John came was to point people to the Messiah, to prepare the way so that they would receive him, so that they would expect him and receive him and see him when he arrived, so that they could be saved. And I love that. Jesus is showing, I'm saying these things, I'm teaching you these things because I desire you to be saved. He goes on about John. So John is our, another witness. He was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. This is a wonderful compliment, a burning and shining lamp. John did a great job pointing the way to the Messiah, but he was not the light. He was a light bearer. He again was one that was pointing towards the one that was to come. And this generated a lot of excitement when it says you were willing to rejoice for, in the light for a while because people were excited. They've been waiting for a long time for the Messiah. And he's like, he's coming, prepare the way, look out for him. And this was exciting. So they were on board that for a little bit until it didn't turn out the way I guess they wanted. It goes on, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Our next piece of evidence, the very works. John's testimony pointed to him and it was true. But the things that we've been seeing Jesus do thus far as we've been studying John, the miracles, the words, the, th the teachings, the works that he has been doing, they in and of themselves bear witness to the authority that the Father has given him, to the things that he has been asked to do. That points directly to who he is and who the Father is. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. Again, our next piece of, of evidence here is the Father directly. And it says his voice... He goes into an indictment here to the, the Jewish leaders. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. Backing up a little bit to verse 37. His voice you have never heard. Jesus is standing before them. God is speaking right through. He is God in flesh, and they don't recognize it. Therefore, they're missing. They're not hearing God through Jesus, through the works, through the things he's saying. He is standing in flesh, and they are missing him. They're not seeing him. And the third thing, they're not even having his word abide in them. God's word, the scriptures that they have, it was designed to change our lives, to change their hearts, to transform them, to see Jesus, to obey, to, to grow, to all these things. But it wasn't changing their hearts. It wasn't changing. Their word was not abiding. They were reading things and it was doing nothing. I had a professor one time when I was in seminary who always told us, if you read the Bible and it doesn't change the way you live and love, you're missing it. And they were missing it because it wasn't within them. And so, and then he says, for you don't believe all these things they miss because they're not believing the one whom God sent, who stands before them. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness about me. There we go, we got another piece of evidence, the very scriptures that they search, not even just read or look at, they're actually searching them, but they're reading them incorrectly. They're missing the very point of what the scriptures are about and who they're pointing to. They think that the more they read, perhaps that's enough, that they'll have life, that they'll have enough knowledge, but all the, all the scriptures is they bear to Jesus. And this is a theme that also gets repeated. This is one of six passages where John says that the scriptures point to who Jesus is. It is them that bear witness about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me that you may have life. There's that life that we were talking about. They look at these things and they refuse. They ignore the purpose of the scriptures, they ignore what's in there and refuse to come so that they could have life. And he goes on, verse 41, I do not receive glory from people. He's not here to win the approval of these leaders or anybody for that matter. He's only here to do what the Father has asked him. And then in contrast to why he's here, because he loves the Father and he's being obedient to the Father, 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. In other words, they're not here to do the things that the Lord has asked of them. They're not actually searching for who God is. We'll keep going. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. So here he has come again through the Father. They don't receive him. And because they're so resistant to who he is, it makes them more prone to receive false leaders. If another comes in his name, you will receive them. So they're missing the Messiah, so they'll receive false ideas. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only Father, the only God. They, as Jesus said, I'm not here to get your approval. This is in contrast, you are here to seek approval from each other. This is what we see in culture actually all the time. Instead of trying to receive glory from God, that people are after acceptance and approval from the world around them, whether it's their friends, their schooling, their jobs. I mean, it, the, the businesses that feel like they have to do all these like, you know, cultural things so that they can get accepted. People are after the glory from each other and not from the glory that comes only from God. He goes on, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have your hope set. Jesus had mentioned earlier in John, I have not come to condemn the world, but to save. He's not here to accuse. He has come so that they could be saved, so that we could be saved, so that we could have life. So he's not the one who's going to accuse it, but the one that they revere, Moses, because Moses in the Old Testament was the giver of the law, the mediator where the law came through, I should say. He did not give the law. God gave the law through Moses to them, and they love the law. We know that. They love the law, so Moses is held in high esteem. But Moses is the one that's going to accuse them. Because if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. This is not necessarily referring to a specific passage. It's talking about all the writings of Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, at the, where the law came through. And the whole point of the law was for us to understand how we are to relate to God and to each other. In other places, one of my other favorite verses in Matthew, Jesus says, all the law and prophets rest on these two things, the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. That was the whole purpose of these commandments in the law, was to teach us how to rightly relate to God and how to rightly relate to each other. The purpose was not to give them salvation. They were never to receive their salvation through strict adherence to the law. It was to point to the future salvation. 
faith has always been the thing that has brought us salvation. In Hebrews, it talks about the great hall of fame in chapter 11. You hear all the people that it was credited to them as righteousness. So these leaders are thinking, you got to obey, you got to obey, you got to obey, do all these things so that they could be saved. But that's not what the purpose of it was for. It was to teach them how to relate to God, how to relate to each other, and to point to the Messiah. And that's what he's talking about. What Moses did, what Moses wrote, all of those things were pointing to the future salvation. That's why Jesus says, I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. He was the ultimate sacrifice so that they could, that we can receive salvation. And then he wraps it up. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you can't even believe the scriptures that point to me as the fulfillment, then you're never going to believe my words. And so what just happened here? As we go through the text, I'm going to sum it up. It's real easy. The Jews, they had Jesus in front of them. They had the very truth of who he was. They had the words of Old Testament scripture. They had it. They had truth. And yet, they missed it. They missed it. It was right in front of them. And they didn't receive it. And they missed it. it, This makes me think of another... uh, person in the Bible that I've always have been, it just makes me so sad, is Judas, one of the disciples, one of the very 12 disciples, how this happened to him. I mean, you'd think if anybody would receive who Jesus is or know, it would have been one of the disciples. And he followed him around. He heard his words. He heard, saw the consistency of his character and who he was. He saw the works that he was doing. And yet he still sold them out for money. But then he felt so convicted, he ended up hanging himself. That whole thing just makes me so sad because he was so close, so close, and yet he missed it. And I know this is happening all around us. This is the danger of what is happening all around us. I know last week we talked about post-evangelicalism, progressive Christianity. This is another thing that is making me so sad because they're so close and yet missing it. They don't want to throw out the label of Christianity. We don't want to throw out Jesus. We don't want to throw out the Bible. But yet, we want to just pick and choose which parts we're going to accept. So close, but missing it. They reject, just like the Jewish leaders, they reject the evidence that's been presented. They reject the truth that is before them. They miss out on life, the life that we were designed to have. But lest we think that we're not like them, well, I'm not rejecting Jesus. I have embraced his truth. I mean, I'm here. I have accepted that. Lest we think that we're not like them, I wonder how many of us perhaps worry more than we should. Even though we have God's truth right in front of us that says, don't worry. I've got you. How many of us maybe are a little bit more anxious or stressed as we go through life, then we should. I mean, I will be the first to admit that has been me the last couple of weeks. Just a little bit of, not a little bit, a lot of of stress, a lot of being overwhelmed. And yet God says, don't be anxious. Right in front of us, don't be anxious. Cast your burdens on me. I've got you. How many of us perhaps are fearful? You know, I'm I'm a family pastor. I got kids. I'm working with families. We're trying to raise kids in this I mean, Todd says God's country. I don't know. California's kind of crazy, you know, and we're trying to raise kids in this. It can be very fearful. It can be very fearful. And yet God says, don't fear. There's a song that I love, and one of the lines in it, it says, there's a place where fear has to meet the God you know. I love that. How many of us perhaps work more than we should or are busier than we should, even though God has told us we should rest? So much so he created a day for us to rest. How many times do we maybe feel like we're not 
fully loved. God can't surely love us, me, the way I am, even though his word says he does. Or how many of us can struggle with God's goodness as soon as pain or perhaps uncertainty enters into our life? See, sometimes we too can be similar to the Pharisees and we can be so close to the truth and yet we don't fully maybe embrace it or fully live into it and then we miss, we miss it and we can miss the peace, the joy, the freedom, the abundant life that we are designed to have. I mean, that's what we're all about here at RCC. We're always talking about joy. We are supposed to experience joy in the ups and the downs and this is what we're talking about. Joy in the midst of all of it, but sometimes we're close, but we miss it. So how can we avoid that? How can we avoid missing this truth? Well, one, we have to be willing to look for truth, first and foremost. Truth is under attack, if you haven't caught on to that. It has been under attack for a number of years. A lot of people like to say there is no truth. Whatever's true for you is fine. Whatever's true for you is fine. It doesn't matter that they contradict. You know, truth is under attack. And not only that, but oftentimes we're not even looking for truth. We, we just prefer things that we like, that is more comfortable. I mean, that's what we saw with the Jewish leaders. I mean, Jesus made a, a good case for them, and yet they were completely resistant to it. They weren't looking for truth. They didn't want to see truth. So we have to begin, for us not to miss it, we have to be willing to even search for truth, to go after it. And our worldview can handle it. God designed this world, and he designed it beautifully, and it works. He knows how it works, and he knows how we can thrive. And so we can be willing to go after truth and not be afraid of the answers that we will find. Because we've got logic, and we've got reason on our side. And sometimes I know people can be afraid to try to figure out what, it, you know, a question might be raised. And it's like, well, I don't know how, what's going to happen with that. My daughter came home one day, well, she's younger, so she's still learning, and she had a friend that had challenged her belief about scriptures, and she's like, well, that's just written, it's a bunch of men, people who got together and just wrote some words, it's not really God's words, it's not really, and she didn't know what to, she didn't, she's young still, so she's learning, so she came home, and I could see kind of the nervousness on her face, she's like, mom, is, is that true? And so we talked through the truth, of, of the scriptures and how there's so much evidence to support that it is, it's not just a bunch of men who got together, that it is the word of God. But to begin with, we need to, to, not, to not miss it. We need to make sure that we are willing to look for truth. Secondly, though, we need to be careful how we think about truth. We have to be careful how we think about the ideas that are out there, the things that we're looking for. One way we do that is we have to be willing to go down the path that it takes us. Again, progressive Christianity is a perfect example of this, not, and I'm not doing this. They're just adjusting things so that it fits what they're more comfortable with versus actually taking it all the way down to the end. Where does this lead? And being willing to go down that path. We also have to be willing to think critically about the ideas that are coming at us about the things that are out there. This is something that is also a little bit under, a lot under attack in our world today. Ideas are just coming at us. And so often we are just passively accepting these ideas. I mean, I feel like Disney is classic with this right now. We're not even watching the new stuff anymore. I just can't even handle it. We're watching classic movies because there are so many just ideas that are just being placed out there as if they're true. 
C.S. Lewis said once that the most dangerous ideas are not the ones that are argued, but the ones that are assumed. And that's what we're seeing happening all the time. And so we have to think critically about the things that we're seeing, about the ideas. We can't just passively receive things. My kids are used to this by now, but you know sometimes they can get a little annoyed because we'll be watching a movie or listening to a song or reading a story, and I will stop it and go, okay, what message did you, we just hear right now? What message did we just receive? Like, I'll stop it, I don't know how many times in the middle of a movie so we can talk about things. We have to call these things out. If we just allow it to, again, passively come over us, we're gonna start adopting ideas. We have to recognize, what ideas, what message did I just receive? A great thing you can do if you have kids or grandkids or if you even like to listen to music is that when you hear new songs, print out the lyrics. I mean, how many times do we listen to songs and we don't even know what we're listening to? We're just kind of, you know, dancing along or whatever. I've been doing this. I, I like to do cycle classes, and one of my favorite instructors, he has recently started pointing out words to songs that I've been listening to forever. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I had no idea it said that. When you get new songs, print out the lyrics, look through the things, and talk about what are the messages that are in these words just to start evaluating, thinking critically. That's how we can think critically. And don't be afraid to ask questions and ask the key question, how do I know that this is true? How do I know this is true? Anything that comes at it, how do I know this is true? So we have to go down the path, let truth take us down the path, we have to think critically, and we also have to do one other thing that has escaped my mind. <laughs> we have to one second. <laughs> um, logically consistent. This is a big one. I don't know how I forgot it because this one drives me up a wall. We need to be logically consistent with the things that we're finding. Abortion is a big topic. I am very in, passionate about abortion, and this is one of those where we see a lot of inconsistent thinkings. For one, on in, it is in law that if a pregnant woman is murdered, it's considered murdering two people. Yet abortion, it's not a person. I mean, that's just not consistent. And again, progressive Christians, same kinds of things. You know, they pick and choose, they wanna keep Jesus, they pick and choose the ideas that they like. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. C.S. Lewis, again, had another argument. He called it the liar, lunatic, lord argument. And the passage that we just studied today, we see all the ways that he claimed to be, he, showed that he was God, claimed it and showed it. So Jesus either was God or he was lying. So either he was lying about all those things or he was crazy, he was a lunatic, or he was God. But we can't say that he's a good teacher and he's got some things to say. So a man who claimed the things he claimed, I'm not gonna listen to anything he said if it's not true. But again, logically consistent. Oftentimes we're not logically consistent. And so we have to think carefully. So we gotta be willing to look for truth, be careful how we think about truth. And lastly, and this is probably the big one, we have to posture our hearts correctly towards these ideas. And I think this is where we can sometimes get caught up and why oftentimes we can be missing the truth. The Jewish leaders for sure did not posture their hearts to receive who Jesus was and to receive the truth. And the way we can do that is we need to be humble. We need to be humble in our approach to things. Humility is where we think lesser of our own opinions and we recognize that, okay, maybe we could be wrong. Maybe there's something I don't know. 
I mean, that's another big thing that we are, uh, one of our values here is being first-handers, studying the scripture and knowing scripture yourself, not just listening to what I have to say, but making sure that it lines with truth. We have to be humble in our approach and we have to make sure that we are willing to recognize, well, maybe I could be wrong. I grew up in a Christian home and was taught wonderful things, but there were some things that I just assumed to be true. And as I got older and got into school and started searching things on my own, I realized, oh, it's not quite like that. But, you know, that's, that's what we were taught. And so I, you know, I kind of believed it. Nothing heretical necessarily, but I just realized, oh, there's a little bit more to this. There's a misunderstanding here. And so as we think about the truth we discover, we need to make sure we are humble towards our approach towards it. And the second part of that is that we're willing to submit. And that's really the biggie. To submit means we recognize the authority of another. And we recognize the authority of Jesus. And I know that for sure is under attack here in our world and sometimes in our lives. We can question, is God good? Is he good in the midst of this situation? Is he still good? Is, does he still care? Or is the request he's asking of me good and therefore want to submit to it? I just had gone to a conference a few weeks ago. I've been in this worldview training program, and it was the end conference. And we had this gal um, she did, a, she just, it was a wonderful story of her journey from being an atheist to finding faith, but she was a strong atheist, and she was same-sex attracted, and she just talked about her journey towards finding God, and one of the things that was so significant for her as she read the scriptures and recognized what God actually did say, and as she found him and, and became a, a believer, was that she recognized what God was asking of her, because those desires, that stuff didn't necessarily go away, and she didn't understand what to do with that. But what she recognized God was asking of her was to submit, even if she didn't understand, even if she didn't know what was going to happen, because the one she was submitting to was good. And I think sometimes that's why we can struggle, is because we're in a culture where it's all about us, an individualistic culture. It's all about our own pursuit of happiness and Whatever I think is true is true, and the greatest sin you can commit is to tell me that I'm wrong. And we're unwilling sometimes to submit to the authority of God. In the Garden of Eden, when the serpent comes to tempt Eve, what's interesting about that is that not only does he twist it a little bit, but when he says to her, you, if you eat this fruit, oh, he says, don't, you know, we're not supposed to eat this fruit because we'll surely die. And he's like, oh, you're not surely going to die. The Lord just knows that you'll be like me. You'll know good from evil. What he does in that moment is he plants a seed of doubt of the motives of God. That God might be withholding something good from them. And so that's, you know, they start to go down that path. And that happens, that can happen to us too. And it can make us hard then to submit. Um, many of you know, if you know my story here in the last year and a half, I've been here about a year and a half, but just as I was arriving, my ex-husband decided to leave me and the kiddos just a couple of days before I started. And that proceeded to start me on an interesting journey. And, you know, all the things, you have all the feelings and you go through all the stuff, and this community has just been absolutely amazing. But I could say, looking back on this time, I feel like I not feel, I know I have experienced more peace and more intimacy with the Lord than in my whole life. And I know that there's been, that I've been walking with the Lord. But there came a moment at the start of this where I had to say to myself, I had to make a choice. 
okay, I know the truth. Am I going to step into this and believe that this is true, that God is good, that God is working, that he's got me, that he's got my girls? I mean, I'm, I'm entering into a family pastor position, for heaven's sake. <laughs> you know, so there was a moment I remember thinking, okay, I got to believe this. My emotions, my heart, all of me has to believe this. And that was a significant turning point for me. It's interesting because I wouldn't say I didn't necessarily believe it before, but it was a different kind of belief that I chose no matter what came to believe. And there was a peace, and I saw God move through you all, through this place, through friends, in tangible ways. My kids did, in tangible ways that has just given me a peace unlike I've ever had and an intimacy with Jesus unlike I've ever had my whole life. And that's the life that God has designed us to have. I know there's so many crazy things going on in this world, but God has designed us to have a peace and a joy and a light, this abundant life in the middle of all of it. And we can sometimes get so close, but then miss it. And then we, we struggle. And my prayer is that we wouldn't, that we would see the truth that God has given us, that we would not be like these leaders, that we would see the truth that God has given us, and we would lean into that we would be so close that we would allow it to overwhelm us. One of the verses that has been kind of my verse for this last year and a half that God gave to me, he brought to my attention at the beginning, was found in Isaiah 40, is found in Isaiah 43, verse 19, and says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's the character of God. And what struck me is it says, I will make a way in the wilderness. He didn't take me out of the wilderness. I will make rivers in the desert. I didn't get removed from the desert, but there was a way and there were rivers in the midst of that. And that was life-giving and an abundant life that I could experience. And that is my prayer. Let's not be so close that we miss it. Step into it fully. Step into that truth fully so that we can experience the joy and the abundant life that he's designed for us to have. Let me close our time in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so grateful for the truth that you have given us. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us would be able to step into that, Lord. This is what you've designed for us, Lord. And I know that there are hard things that are going on and that the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. But you have come to give us life. May that life overwhelm us. May that joy overwhelm us. May the truth of who you are overwhelm us. Draw us a little closer to you today. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.